Happy Valentine's Day. And Ash Wednesday for those who celebrate. They're on the same day this year. You know what else is on the same day this year? Christmas and Hanukkah starts the same day. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting calendar this year. So we've got Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day on the same day. So it's love month. And um, this podcast will be all about love. We'll do a lot of discussions about that. But first, I had a little thought that I I thought. There you go. That's how words work. But did y'all do... um, classroom parties for valentine's day as kids of course yes, yes. did you <laughs> have to have like a bag for like to sit on your desk for stuff to people to put stuff in yes or like some sort of vessel a vessel um pre-sealed i candies. remembered an absolute do you remember the pre-sealed candies <laughs> for sure and yes. the like the little valentines very strict yeah. instructions on what is allowed in this classroom yeah um i remembered an absolute monstrous thing that i made i was probably in nine or 10 and our assignment was to create a container for our valentines to sit on our desk and i thought it would be a great idea if i designed a box that looked like my face and you put the valentines into my mouth (laughs) oh god i don't know if there's a photo of this but it was this giant i took like a shoebox and like scissors that is and it was yeah, I, we're I, putting like, it on Instagram. <laughs> oh my god! Like it, Ooh. it was, and like even now, like I have like very fond memories of little me, and I'm so proud of her. But also, like this was horrifying. Like wow. I, as I a, it. as an adult now, I'm like, what were you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what was so I thinking? As I need a child. to, find, but yeah, just happy Valentine's Day, y'all. I hope you get lots of love and surprises, <laughs> and I hope that you're not scared by past childhood memories one one of the funniest things now as an adult is hearing my mother's perspective on things that i remember fondly from my childhood Mm. (laughs) because they are not remembered so fondly by my parents my parents were chaperones very frequently Mm. because they both worked grew up in atlantic city and a lot of my classmates parents worked second or third shift as cocktail waitresses Mm -hmm. or dealers in the casinos, that kind of thing. So my parents were two of the very rare people. My mom worked in um, legal for one of the casinos. My dad worked for the city. Rare couple who both had kind of nine to five jobs and could take vacation, that kind of stuff. So they often were chaperones. And hearing my mother's perspective on our field trips has been... (laughs) A real wake-up call for what she went through. She and my dad both went through. But the one thing that I remember, when I was in first grade, my first grade class had 36 kids in it. Whoa. It was huge. huge. It was huge. And our school was really, like, overly large and should have been split into two. But the next closest school was about... 16 blocks away and that Mm -hmm. was too far to send kids especially ones that were that young so we had a huge class and (laughs) one thing my mom said a couple years ago was the number of valentines that she had to sit down and make her first grade child write everyone's name on was an absolute nightmare 35 valentines yes and i didn't remember all of my classmates so we had to find my class picture (laughs) (laughs) going down Ashley, right sean bruce rena queenie like just going through the list and being like 
my mom said it took hours for me because each one I had to pick for the right person and make sure that like the right. You'd have to buy like two or three packs of Valentine's because like if they sell them in like dozens or 24 packs, like you have to get two if you have 36 kids. And then we'd have leftovers. And of course I was not going to want to do Cinderella next year. I was going to want to do Lion King or whatever it was that was popular. Mm -hmm. I guess Aladdin would have been for when I was in second grade. But yeah, that's like my, the memory that kind of hinges on me for Valentine's Day as a kid. It's just like, there were so many of us and I don't know how our parents and our teachers did it. Like good for them. I'm having, I'm really having flashbacks here as you're talking about filling out all of these Valentines and I'm remembering the like specific uh, uh, character branded multi packs yes. of perforated Valentines. Oh uh, yeah, you know, and again the sort of the the strange thrill uh, that one would feel when you would open up your locker and you know they had been slipped in Absolutely. through the through the grates, but then also the sadness when the you didn't get any you didn't get any or no, you didn't get buddy. the ones from, from the, the person, person that you wanted that you to hope. get them you from. didn't get a candy gram yeah. and none for gretchen wieners Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um it's just like mean girls all over again yeah so campabella grambling elementary or something yeah yeah <laughs> um anyway i don't know i mean i guess for me i'm just sort of thinking about that alongside like what is the power ranking for the respective candy getting holidays? Mm. Right? Oh, Halloween yeah. is clearly one, but Valentine's secret heat, I right? I think it's honestly number two. Valentine's is a heavy contender. Yeah, that hits second. Against Easter. Easter is a big one too. But like and some Christmas. people don't do Easter. Okay, Easter is a big one, and Christmas is a big one too, but you're not in school for those. Yes. Right. You are in school for Halloween and Valentine's Valentine's Day. Day. And so it's going to be a big deal. You're going to dress up for Halloween. If you're like my elementary school, you're going to do a parade around the block and all the parents are going to take pictures. That's right. It's going to be a whole thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to be dressed up all day. There's going to be all sorts of stuff happening. And for some reason, teachers are giving you candy, which I feel like. Uh, was on them you sure. know um, <laughs> yeah decision but and then you were going out trick-or-treating that night right. candy. and then valentine's day you were gonna dress up in your favorite pink outfit well that was I, that was you buddy i was going still to dress is up you that'll be you this well, year i'm we'll already this year what i'm gonna wear on valentine's thank day, you so. yeah Ooh. two out of three ain't bad seasons make life fun dress for the seasons right dress for the holidays so it's like halloween and valentine's day you're also at work for those. Yeah. So we're going to have candy at Premier work Premier candy getting. Yep. Doesn't count. Oh, somebody brought cookies and brownies. Oh. Oh, Well, wow. I guess we're going to have to eat them. I, I, we can't we leave these wanna, here. We can't leave waste. these here overnight. Yeah. Right. So there's that. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to the Book Lovers Podcast, where we're carefully arranging the the little foil wrappers from the outside of the Dove chocolates to try <laughs> to discover hidden meanings and patterns therein. I'm Joseph Henderson. 
the media specialist. And I'm Ria Gajeski, the children's assistant. And I'm Jess Herzog, the director of adult services. Love is the reason for the season. And we're taking full advantage of that today by diving into the world of romance novels, an off-judged and frowned-upon genre that in reality reflects some of our greatest hopes and dreams, finding love or at least acceptance from a partner for the time being. Joseph is particularly interested in my and Rhea's opinions on the tropes, trends, and trials of romance, and we're even talking about the difference between a romance and a love story. Let's get started. For today's episode, we all spent some time reading and watching romance titles. Mm-hmm. Confirm. Titles that, that firmly fit within the genre, that maybe loosely or in a complicated way fit within the genre. And as is often the case, I've come away with a number of questions. Shocking. And I thought that this would be uh, a good opportunity for me to ask the two of you who are more well-read in this genre mm-hmm. than I am, at least certainly in contemporary with contemporary examples. Also confirm. <laughs> uh, to, uh, to, to help me think through some of these things that occurred to me as I was surveying the field. Yeah. Get okay. Us. So what you got? my first question, and this is kind of a, a, a speculative one. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. How often do you encounter situations in romance stories where there's a sort of possibility of a meet cute that happens outside of work or other contexts of self-actualization, like like stores, being at stuff. the gym, a particular hobby, mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, probably not often. Right. I think I, and this is just me shooting off the cuff, but I guess Good. like the idea of romance is finding someone that is of like mind or of like interest, someone that you would want to spend time with. And so it's kind of idealized or like kind of the ideal to meet someone in a situation where you share something, whether it's like, yeah, proximity of work and you probably work doing the same thing because you're interested in the same thing or, Oh, we go to the same gym. We both like care about this or we both like to read. We met at the bookshop or, I don't know. So it's like maybe that meet cute is just like happens in that space because it's like an indication of similar interest and therefore possible ke- chemistry. I don't right. know. Right. Um, There's also such a big and important part of the romance that is about its relatability because when you're reading a romance, you kind of want to feel like you could be in that character's shoes or you can really relate to what they're doing. So you want to hear from them about something that they enjoy 
and are passionate about. So even if it's something that you don't personally enjoy, you can relate to that sense of feeling of accomplishment or embracing a thing that you love and finding someone to share it with. Mm -hmm. So that's a really, in a way, a really important part of the romance field is, especially with writing, is developing that interest and that appeal in a character who is kind of fully realized in a certain way and then tying a meet cute if there is one into that. Well, I guess I was thinking about this from the from the vantage point of trying to wrap my head around or articulate for myself trends that I felt were prevalent mm-hmm. in contemporary romances in yeah. particular. Um, so so at, so there was a there was a way in which that first question was very heavily a, a leading question, yeah. right? Ooh, what's the next question? Yeah. Um, but I think that both of you uh, sort of identified, you know, in some ways, like the the function behind the trend, mm-hmm. right? Or, um, or something like that. It's, like it's grounding the characters, but also giving the reader a chance to live vicariously through them. Right. Nope, it's like explain the genre. Explain yeah, the explain the genre to some for someone who is uh, less familiar with it, um, and sort of standing outside of it, or is in my case really only familiar with like the early progenitors of mm-hmm. the genre. If we want to call like, somebody like, like Jane, Jane Austen, Austen to yeah, be a novelists, figure. those like kind of beginning romance people, right? Yeah. So related to that. Uh, related to that idea of the early progenitors, the Austenite um, figure and in, in framing of the romance novel and the romance plot, what would either of you say is the, like, where do we see, if we see it at all, the presence of what scholars have called the marriage plot? Mm. Like that aspect of, of romance stories. I know Jess when um, I'm going to let you answer in a second, but I know when uh, we have talked about romance in the context of this show in the past, and when we've also talked about it in the context of work we've done in the department, we've talked about ideas of the sort of happy for now, right? right. Rather than the, uh, uh, the previous idea of a sort of happily ever after mm-hmm. or something like that. So yeah, that's something that I was actually curious about was uh, where that if that structure sort of exists at all anymore or where we see it. I think it definitely still does. And um, there are a number of romances that end with that ring. Yeah. And for a lot of, a lot of people who read romances, that is the life goal. But what we're seeing now is much more diversification of the characters who are in a romance plot and we aren't necessarily 100% guaranteed to end the book with a ring. Right. And that's been a big tonal shift in romance over the last, I would say hmm, decade and a half or so. Um, I think there's much more awareness, especially now with millennials who are getting, if they're getting married are getting married much later in life. Right. Um, And, For a lot of them, they're not getting married or that isn't really the goal of a relationship. I've been with my partner almost 10 years now 
and marriage is not a thing either of us are really interested in. Um, so it's something that again, with the, the absolute utmost importance of relatability being part of romance, romance authors and the genre as a whole is kind of missing relatability for some of its readers because we had readers out there who weren't getting married. It's like when we weren't seeing representation of LGBTQ characters, but there are plenty of LGBTQ people reading romances and romance has always been a genre that is very fast to respond to criticism. Usually the, you know, pen to publication pipeline is pretty quick with romance compared to so many other genres. Sure. Literary fiction or something like that. (laughs) Literary fiction is a great example. But even with mysteries and that kind of thing, they tend to take a little bit longer. But turnaround for romance, you know, like the one that I'm reading now, um, A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. And honestly, the last like three or four that I've read are like coming next summer, the next book in this series. And there's an excerpt of maybe a chapter or so Mm -hmm. because these characters are things that we want to see and we want to keep going with and we want to see these happy endings over and over even if they don't end with marriage necessarily so the you know romance authors are really encouraged to write 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 and build out these worlds and when you're reading a romance novel something to consider is like even with other characters who are around look at them and how they're being designed and what are their lives like are they single are they in an unhappy relationship? Are they recently divorced? If so, they may be the main character yeah. of the next book. Sure, yeah. Um, and that also is a big part, I think, of the kind of diversification of storytelling within romance is really spreading out, especially when you look at friends groups or something like that. You have so much more opportunity to go with different races and different classes of people and that right. kind of stuff. And um we see it really spread much further and wider than maybe the original romances of someone like Jane Austen who and that's really predating true romance oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah. when we look at books like that they're in the really early days it is this one little tiny little social network and she's really yeah. playing around with her friends who are all white and they're in the same social class and everything like that. Um, And the focus is marriage. Yeah. But now we've just seen such a shift in what perspective is considered valid within romance. And so we're seeing a much broader concept of what a happy ending can be. Long story short, after all of that. No, (laughs) no. I mean, I think, I think that's helpful because I think what's interesting about it is that, um, even, even that idea of the, the, the popular form of the, the genre fiction changing, broadening, becoming in, in a certain sense, like serialized in a way mm-hmm. to give you like a wider, uh, a wider social world. I mean, I'm thinking about like, of course, the Bridgerton series from Julia Quinn. Absolutely. But I'm also thinking about like uh, Jasmine Guillory's books and how she moves from uh, the first book, The Wedding Date, and I'm not going to know any of the titles after that. I'm sorry. But moving from that small pair of characters in that world to then 
minor characters becoming major characters in sequels to that. Because you have the best friend. Right. You have the sister right. who's down on her luck. You have, um, you know, the client who is recently divorced and she's 45 or you know, yeah. there's just like there's a number of ways in which you can kind of spread your wings. And as women have in particular women when we're talking about romances, but certain men too, as they have become more empowered and more independent, we're seeing a much broader opportunity for those meet cutes that are sure. in all sorts of different places. Right. Yeah, right. I think the um, marriage plot, it kind of, not to like be too dismissive to say like it's still there, but it's changed. Like, it, But I feel like in most stories, marriage might be the end goal or might be the desired place for the their characters to rest and move forward in but also there's so like which whoever whatever their dream is like I feel like romance is so much about like identifying a dream or identifying what life you want to live and then walking towards that with someone with a group of someone's however that works so it's like marriage plot exists but like the marriage is optional <laughs> yeah, yeah or like it might just be different i don't know yeah right and for the same thing to over and over and over and over and over again be engagement or marriage gets stale mm-hmm. you know sure it's like if that's always going to be the end goal of every single book i don't know that i necessarily want to read it like i i expect to see it in a number mm-hmm. of cases but for some of them, it's like, I just want to know that they're happy, healthy, and stable. Yeah. You know. Well, and I think part of the, um, I think part of this uh, difference, though, is, uh, I mean, <clears throat> to take it back to the, um, to take it back to the Austin example, you know, I think that on on a certain level, you you almost have to historicize the the marriage plot somewhat for sure right yeah. to say okay well if one of the things that the romance novel or the romance genre is dealing with is you know Rhea, what you were just talking about mm-hmm. this image of essentially of desire that's yeah. what you're describing right uh or a dream that one is moving towards or something like that um at least in uh in the context uh, that in which you know austin was working um that was marriage as a as a financial arrangement right it wasn't was yeah it necessary. wasn't it was yeah. one it was a need it was a requirement yeah. in society for women right. to be able to survive outside sure. of their parents home right and so especially for those of us who read historical romance particularly the regency romances yeah. you mentioned mm-hmm. julia quinn but like the icon i think of when i think of regency romance is georgette higher right and all of her books really end with that because that is historically accurate Mm -hmm. for the time. It was so extremely rare to see women who lived of their own accord and weren't labeled as like spinsters or creepy witches or anything like that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like marriage necessary romance preferred. Right. Yeah. And you know, if, if you have a marriage of convenience and it turns into a romance even better. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the tropes that we saw fairly frequently during that time period. And, And even with, Contemporary romances that are written today, looking back on historical times, we will see those tropes pop up more frequently than we do now because of the specific tie to what was accurate for the time. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, okay, go see if we can trust me on this one. All right. I think there's a way. We're hanging on. I think there's a way to make this bridge work. 
Mm-hmm. Is it a bridge or ten? I was literally thinking that, yeah. but I didn't say it. <laughs> call a. Uh, uh, call up Shonda Rhimes. Call up Shonda we Rhimes. We got a joke call for up, you. Uh, you got a I joke. bet you've never heard this one. Yeah. I um, bet she has. Okay. <laughs> What's your next question? So the question is, I wonder if there's a way for us to perhaps thread the historical needle. Let's make it a trans-historical needle here between the marriage plot, the marriage for convenience, mm-hmm. and the fake romance plot mm. for appearances that then becomes... Oh, for Real, sure. Right? Absolutely. Because when you think about even a marriage of convenience, and we think about those historical romances, what was the goal of those? Oh, um, it's financial. No. What was the goal of those? Children. Ah. I mean, it was financial for the woman, but the goal for society is that yeah. that relationship is going to end with an heir. That's true. For historical More babies. Yeah, for historical romances, that's really the absolute end goal. But generally speaking, outside of the initial engagement of the couple, pregnancy isn't really romantic. <laughs> um, it can be really exhausting uh-huh. and, and dangerous. Kind of and dangerous, it's especially very dangerous. during that time period. Sure. So it's not usually a lot of those historical romances, not all of them, but quite a few. And this is something I've done research on. There are very few, especially historical romances, that don't end with the promise of a child right. in some way. And that's a big part of historical romance. So then it is not just a marriage of convenience to get her out of the house, but there has to be some reflection of them wanting it to happen. You know, so that kind of ties into the fake romance of today that everyone we're trying to get across to everyone that, yeah, we like each other, even if technically we hate each other's guts. Um, and you know, it's, I think an extremely similar trope. Um, especially if you, you know, you look at and take into consideration the aspect of having children being the true end goal of a marriage plot. Um, and so what's the, so then if that's the, if that's one aspect of the parallel, would we, could we say that the, the issue, right? Uh, the, the version of the air that's an aspect of the fake romance plot is something like, I don't know, social clout or some kind of greater social circulation in some kind of way. For sure. And Again, with historical romances, a lot of what we see is an attempt by a woman to, quote unquote, tame a previously, quote unquote, untamed man. Mm. That's something we see a lot with historical romances. Sure. The, yeah. The bodice rippers and the kilt busters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to tame yeah. a rake and yes. all of yes. that kind of yes. stuff. And I mean, that's and some titles of the like. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And that's something that we see, again, to reference Bridgerton because it's something that is so much in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And the new season comes out in May. The first season was an absolute like pop culture. Oh yeah, the explosion! World kind of yeah, bit. the world stood still, and people started dressing differently. Yes, and that's how you know it's really made an impact. It's when you see those high, like Ampere waist yes. Regency dresses that would make me look so pregnant. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a terrible look for some Give people. Us the fluffy, frilly shirts. Yeah, I want, I want pirate shirts. Yes, pirate shirts for men. 
on pure waist dresses for women. But I actually forgot where I was going with that. Where was I going? To reference Bridgerton once again. You were talking the about rakes, the men that being can able be to tame. tame. Yes. Right. It's almost a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And so I can change him. Right. There are a number of brothers in the Bridgerton family who are like the wild ones. Benedict mm-hmm. in the show is the one artist. of them, the artist who can't be tamed yes. and he's out in the world and doing his thing. And the oldest brother, Anthony, who everyone is like, we're giving up on him getting married because he just won't do it. And that kind of thing. And he then refuses to fall in love. Right. It's up to some woman to tame that man, right. you know, and that's a really big trope. And today we that's one thing that I feel like has changed a little bit in terms of romance because it's not necessarily taming but it's more of like the perennial bachelor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the guy who just like will not commit yeah he is happy with living life the way that he's living life until he supposedly meets the one woman of his dreams and i think sometimes that can be a little disingenuous because there are some men and some women out there who don't mm-hmm. right and that's a different kind of happiness. But for those of us who are reading romances, we are reading for a specific thing at the end, which really is that happy for now or whatever it may be. So maybe they're in a long-term relationship. Maybe we don't even know how far they get, but we know that they're happy together. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> so I roundabout. Think it did. I, I think it did. Okay. Do you have any um, other questions? Oh, I have some. I, I want to know more. I like. I'm more. looking at the notebook, love... and there's just so much writing. <laughs> yeah, I love that we well. sent you away to read a fantasy, <laughs> romance, a Dungeons and Dragons inspired fantasy, fantasy romance. romance. Right. and you came back with a whole notebook worth of questions of like, but what about this? Can you explain this? And Please that explain. I I like say that I, I love that, and that's sincere. I'm like, this is great. Joseph had a different reading experience of I, Legends I and did. Lattes than I did. Yeah. <laughs> now, okay, so this is maybe. Mm, I've got I've got a couple of big ones, but I'm going to save those because okay. we're getting there, and you're you're already seeding the conversation, even though you don't realize you are. Um, we're just that good at what I we do. I feel like he's That's being the dungeon master of this episode. Like we so don't know where yeah, this we've is going. rolled five you're for just, romance, yeah. and he's like, "Oh yeah, right here we go." <laughs> okay, so related to Legends and Lattes mm-hmm. by Travis Baldry, the book that I read for today and yeah. quite enjoyed. Um, because I've, as I've said now, and we're all so tired of hearing about it, uh, I've been spending a lot of time playing Baldur's Gate 3. Oh my god, so much time and, with Baldur's Gate. And thinking a lot about the Dungeons and Dragons world and all of that sort of stuff. So this fit right within it. Um, Although, can I say too that I absolutely love that something that is generally envisioned as so masculine and so like, I fights and orcs and all of that kind of stuff we have battles we have a tie-in of romance yeah that. there's a way there's there a way is, to, there's to, absolutely to, to a way. love is found at the For, coffee shop yeah it everything is. can be romantic if you look at it in the right light so the so that ties into my next almost question almost everything i should say oh, <laughs> not everything uh, <laughs> pump the brakes on that little chief anyway uh, it ties into my next question which is i wondered if you two had any thoughts on sort of the like the role of fan communities and sort of fanfic platforms 
archive archive of our own mm-hmm. other places like that as kind of hmm, means by which this desire for more romance storytelling like how those seem to function as channeling uh, as a way of channeling that desire if that question makes sense maybe i need to restate it it does i think you're asking kind of like it's a bit of a loaded question it seems like you're asking like why do people read romance <laughs> well it's not so much no it's not so why much why do the, people make their own romance yes. that's actually okay. the thing right keep it's it like, spinning they keep yeah. the story going because yeah. we've certainly Where does that come from, brought right? up on the podcast mm. before twilight and 50 shades of gray sure right right and 50 shades started out as twilight fan fiction and so that's something that we see in a lot of communities where they'll take their characters and incorporate romances into them or something like that. Harry Potter certainly has a right. lot of slash that's fiction. That's one I was that thinking of, of slash fiction, right? Um, I think it's, to me, I think it, sh- it indicates that people love these characters. Yeah. And love them so much and want to see them have love that they're willing to make it happen themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool in yeah. a way. Like I know there's questions of copyright and whatever, which is like the least cool thing we could talk about. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd be I think here it's for super it. flattering right. for like a f- book series or a movie series or whatever to have characters that people love so much that they want to like continue spinning a story. Yeah, could and you imagine like, like what even, an honor that yeah. people could see like characters you, you created? Even in people a cosplay, like like you sh- you might make like write a book and draw like have commissioned some a cover art or fan art to go in with special edition, and then someone shows up at your book signing dressed as that character, shows up to a, like a comic book. Like that's, I think that would be so flattering and so lovely. Um, but yeah, I guess it just goes back to that desire to like continue the story and like step Mm -hmm. into those shoes and just revel in that happiness of a couple. And I don't know. I just think it's lovely. Yeah. I mean, I guess I think for me, like from the slightly uncomprehending outsider perspective (laughs) (laughs) that in this case I, I occupy, um, you know, it, it speaks to uh, like, I feel like there's a there's a a wrong-headed reading of it that says, well, this is um purely just expressive of a sort of niche community's like particular erotic desires mm-hmm. that they want to project on these characters or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't really I don't entirely buy that. What I do think though is the case is alongside that idea of continuing those stories right this urge or desire towards almost like infinite serialization Mm -hmm. um is instead uh i think it's an indication that there just simply isn't enough of a sort of cultural expression for um the need for or the desire to read more romance type stories Mm -hmm. like within these contexts and maybe even within these particular genres let's say right um like i think there's a to me it feels like there's a sort of cultural desire that's finding its expression there as well right 
Um, and, and I guess on a certain level, I'm, I'm interpreting that out of those sort of fanfic communities slash fiction communities, um, in some ways through the lens of the contemporary popularity of writers like Sarah J. Moss mm-hmm. and, you know, Rebecca Yaros, yeah. um, and finding, you know, within the particular tropes and frameworks of the fantasy genre that isn't always particularly friendly to romance and frequently is not very friendly to women mm-hmm. um, in I general. Mean, it, yeah. Right? I think you hit the nail on the head hit there. the nail on the head there, right? It's like there's an audience, there's an audience for this material. There's a readership for it. But then there's also just like a larger cultural desire to see, hey, what does love actually look like in this world? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Well, and we think about who are the creators of slash fiction? Oh. Primarily women, right? Yeah, right. And who tends to get denigrated most? For liking for their reading tastes. <laughs> for liking things. For liking, for liking, liking things anything. in general. <laughs> Primarily women, Correct. right? And it's like, if we hear the phrase, oh, you're reading another blank, what is the likelihood that someone is going to fill in that blank with romance? Sure. Right? It's looked down upon. And it's a way to kind of tear down the appeal and make it kind of undermine what it is that people are interested in. But the fact is, women are... Primarily women, not just yeah. women, but primarily a female and, group yeah, of people. Not all women either. But yeah, is, is working to build romance in a place where a lot of authors wouldn't see that. Mm-hmm. Right. And for whatever reason, have a blind spot toward that perhaps. Or not necessarily a blind spot, but it doesn't move forward the plot or something like that. Like Ron and Hermione getting married in the end. I don't know if that... That happened, right? Epilogue, yeah. It With did. Harry Potter, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, what did their romance over those seven books of Harry Potter really bring to the plot? Just did adolescence it. growing up. Right. So um, seeing that world of romance, it wouldn't have been addressed mm-hmm. necessarily in those books. and But it is something that people inherently love and want to see. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us to try and build that wherever we can yeah and i think fantasy is another great example of oh are you reading another blank like if romance is first in line the other one is going to be fantasy yeah and romantic fantasy right now is having such a renaissance sure (laughs) really it's like there's sarah j moss there's rebecca yaros of course there's jennifer armentrout there's Dozens of authors who are doing this thing and bringing romance into a world that before it was really eschewed as like, sorry, but this is about more important things We're than love. Do like magic and battles. Right. And it turns out that romance actually belongs anywhere that a story is being told or right. can belong anywhere mm-hmm. where a story is being told. Because there's people in it. And <coughs> yeah. At the exactly. heart of most human stories is love in some way. Believe it or not. And sometimes not even human stories. That's true. Yeah, There's yeah. plenty of paranormal That's romance true. out there as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I I was looking at looking at that trend. I don't know. There were a number of 
uh, sort of interconnected articles recently in the New York Mag Vulture website um, that I'm convinced uh, Jess Herzog ghostwrites for. Um, I wish. Vulture, uh, if you're listening, call me, please. But uh, Sarah J. Moss just recently had a big book release. Right, her third her Crescent latest, City book came out. Yeah, her latest book. And so they had a they had a really interesting profile up of her. And of course, I was thinking about that in the context of, you know, Legends and Lattes mm-hmm. and thinking about spaces where romance is bubbling up in popular culture, but we don't necessarily always expect to see it there. Right. right. Um, okay. <laughs> Another question? Next yes. chapter. What do you two think are some of the cultural desires and fantasies that are being engaged and expressed in contemporary romance. All right. Well, first things first, Sarah J. Moss. <laughs> if we haven't mentioned her enough. I mean, romanticism. Hot fairies. Hot yeah. fairies. Yeah. Much what, as do I, the, what do the women want? Hot, hot fairies, fairies and dragon riders. Much <laughs> as I hate saying the word romanticy, like it makes my tongue burn a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just me being stubborn and wanting to call it romantic fantasy. Um, it is so bonkers popular right now. Sure. And it really mm-hmm. is like yeah. revealing. It's a fun time. Yeah, it's a fun time. And it's really revealing a world that honesty or a world that honestly was in a drought for romance. Like I sure. fantasy was just, or again, orcs. I don't know why that's the word I keep going back to, but there's an orc on the cover of legends and lattes. Is that what they look like? That's what Viv looks like. All right. Good for her. She looks good. Go ahead. Work queen. Um, but you know, we're seeing this embrace of a world that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. But we're embracing it a little bit further, which is fun in a certain way. I think the other big thing that we're really seeing with romance, and again, like I've said, romance is so quick to respond, is just the absolute diversification, especially in LGBTQ communities. We are seeing stories of bisexual characters, um, gay relationships, lesbian relationships, of course, but we're also seeing intersex characters. We're seeing asexuality explored, aromanticism explored. We're seeing all of this different stuff trans characters being revealed as like the main character and the winner Mm -hmm. for really the first time in romance and it's in response to the demand for it the demand is there and uh what's nice is that publishers are just like proven wrong over and over again because they'll be like this isn't gonna sell and avon books has been sitting there like this will sell we've been selling it forever we've been selling it (laughs) since the dawn of time that's why avon has so much money but you know avon and saint martin's and a number of other presses have just said no we're gonna do it we're gonna give it a shot we're gonna throw it out there and see what sticks and it's really just pushed the genre forward so much faster than any other genre you know and like a, like you said, literary fiction takes forever and a day to publish. Mm. Those people are so ethereal about their thinking and they've got to get it mm-hmm. all right and all that. And romance is like, we know you want a good, fast time. Right. Wink. Right. And so we're going to give it to you. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, uh, I guess like, hmm, 
thinking about those particular trends, I mean, it's it's hard to think about them like separate from the various ways in which the trends themselves come to be like mediated. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you were saying before, romance readers, like sort of those kinds of fan communities, but also of course, social media, Goodreads, other things like that. I don't know. Rhea, what are yeah, you, what I mean, are you seeing? Well, I don't read a lot of hot fairy romance books, but, um, no I, hot fairies. No, I mean, they're fine. Like, but it's not my go-to when room I'm looking fairies. for, <laughs> fairies. um, not my go-to when it comes to looking for romance. Um, but one of, I'm trying to think through some of the tropes and, uh, just patterns that I've noticed in mm-hmm. different books across, um, the past couple months of my reading. And one of the things that I think I've been seeing is looking at, a broader cast of characters that make a book feel real in a like absolutely m- meaning yeah. like whether it's family relationships and whether that's a family dynamics that are mostly good but they're still a little rocky so larger um like family structures or family relationships that are strained and then you mm-hmm. have the found family right. kind of aspects of making like understanding that a character's worth isn't necessarily being validated by their biological family. And so they're going towards finding friendships that really strengthen or, or like sibling relationships that can kind of help bridge that. So I think, um, which is, I I don't know if it's like art reflecting life, but just understanding that life is rocky, but there's still like a lot of structures around you that can make a character feel real because it's almost like, a little bit of art reflecting life yeah um so a I more think, textured yeah so like kind world. of looking at like yeah. contemporary romance that's something that i've noticed like just wanting to make these characters feel like their setting is really fleshed out and a part yeah. of that is their relationships that they have not just with their romantic interest but with their friends and yeah. their family and sure. that can be a fact that can lead to like some rough realistic reading at times to be yeah like, oh that like Kind of just because it's hard, a romance doesn't yeah. mean there aren't arguments with oh, your yeah. friends about <laughs> right. like the way that you behaved the uh-huh. night before when you got a little too sloppy drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Right. I recently. Sandy. <laughs> okay. It's fine. I'm just letting it roll. Yeah. I recently read a pair of books by Amy Lee. The first was Set on You, and then the second was X's and O's. And the first one meet cute at a gym enemies to lovers situation right um and i feel like enemies to lovers is a it's a big is thing a big, right is now. a big it's thing a very big yeah. trope right now it's really popular i think too like over the last four or five years there was this whole covid thing if you guys remember mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's made us all kind of reflect on the people we know and the people we hated and the mm-hmm. people that maybe we don't hate so much anymore mm-hmm. and so that's a little bit relatable in a certain way um i was also going to say it has its seeds even all the way back to pride and prejudice right absolutely the misunderstanding yeah. around mr darcy oh, the misunderstanding oh, he seems to be a jerk right uh, actually right. he's not a jerk he's yeah. just misunderstood anyway yeah. He is just anti-social. Let him write you a letter. He'll explain it. That's right. He'll explain it. What was really interesting to me when I read the second book, which was centered around the first book's main character's sister. Mm -hmm. 
So the second book moves on to the sister. <laughs> Forced roommate situation. Oh, proximity. Oh yeah. Forced proximity. Um and then they kind of, and we have chronic bachelor is the forced mm. roommate. So we have that situation going mm. on. But what was very, very interesting to me reading these books was that the second book, the main character does not have a glowing review of the sister who was featured in the first book. Mm. They're sisters. Yeah. They are going to get along and not get along sometimes. Yeah. Right. And they're going to have different perspectives of each other. And I really enjoyed that yeah, nuance. That like, sounds really intriguing. Um, yeah. It was like, the books were great to read, really steamy, like the sex scenes were written really well. Mm-hmm. But what has stuck with me about that is that the dynamic between the sisters successfully, like Amy Lee's really managed that very well and made it clear that I could root for both of them while mm-hmm. still seeing that neither of them was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially after reading the second book, I was like, man, the, you know, the main character from the first book, she was a little high on her horse a couple of times. We could times. do some personal work. Yeah, we could yeah. do some personal work. But it's also like reflected in the first book that she's gone through a really rough patch. And so has her sister and mm-hmm. her sister's dealing with some stuff. And, um, you know, there are places in the world where she's really good at things, but there are other places where she could work on stuff, which includes her relationship with her sister. And so there's, you know, we we say, once again, uh, you're reading another romance, but there is so much real world effort yeah. in these books. And a lot of them, I you know, Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake, which is by Alexis Hall, um, takes into account sexual assault mm, yeah. mm. and how to manage that. Mm-hmm. And when that happens on the page and, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey for all of its pros and cons taught a lot of people about respectful boundaries around a BDSM relationship Mm -hmm. sure, and management of feelings and safe words and that kind of stuff. So romances can be really incredible learning experiences and I don't think they're always respected for that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I was thinking about, um, I guess, sort of along the lines somewhat of the um, tracking trends around the increased diversification uh, in romances. I was just, you know, uh, the other night, I guess this was a couple of Thursdays ago, as I do uh, when I'm closing, uh, (laughs) shifting uh, new books around and -hmm. looking at the romance titles that happen to be in new books. And, you know, among the other things that are, We've already sort of ticked off some boxes around. Uh, you know, I was looking at uh, the second chance romances, mm-hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. And, and I thought, uh, and, and in a couple of cases, you know, it it seemed like in a number of those, that was actually where we were seeing um, some diversification in terms of the ages, the relative ages of yeah. the characters that are showing up in, in these novels, you know, being very much in midlife and sort of reflecting back and maybe trying to start over in some kind of way because mm-hmm. who knows what happened right to uh, the given character in the novel I, of course I can't think of a, a particular title but I mean you know the, I know there's a there's a ton of them out there um, and uh, I don't know I, I guess if I'm thinking about a TV show maybe something like Grace and Frankie would be uh, the Netflix show would For be sure. a really good example um, that doesn't necessarily immediately start uh, on the 
in the foreground as a romance story, although in the background, the two husbands, now ex-husbands that get together, mm-hmm. their story is a romance. Um, although Grace and Frankie do find love in different ways and work and purpose and other things like that. So they do have their second chances. Is this a series that you finished? Uh no. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just I was just gonna be like, Joseph, did you finish to see did you love it no. so much that you watched all of it? And that's okay. Joseph, did you finish but it? Because maybe you should because there's a big sounds thing like that you happens love it. at the end. Yeah. I should. <laughs> I, I probably you should. should. Anyway. I think you should. But I think that's a a big thing in romance that we see as part of the um pulling back our dependence on the marriage plot and implication of children is that then we can see older people finding love. And I don't mean older necessarily being like in your eighties. It can be in your forties and you're divorced. It can even be like you're 25 and you are divorced or you've been kicked home because something's gone terribly awry in your life. Um, but second chance romance is all about kind of busting past the marriage plot and the idea that you've got your one true love and that's the lock on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see in real life, people find love after becoming widows or widowers. Sure. And we see, you know, seniors and senior communities falling in love or people yeah. moving to a new place and having to let go of the life they left behind and finding new love there. Like there's all sorts of opportunity. And so it's really nice to see that, um, the f- fiction realm of romance has really kind of acknowledged that more right. and accepted it as a, a reality. Yeah. This is the, this leads me towards maybe the weirdest question. <gasps> wow. Oh boy. Um, that was very much inspired by my, my film watching okay. of the, the last film in the before trilogy, the Richard Linklater films. So this last one is called before midnight and we'll talk about movies in a bit, but, um, but I was thinking about how we could talk about or think through the role played by time Mm. in romances right because the marriage plot that's a very specific structure a temporal structure right um that's leading up to a very particular event the marriage and maybe the the birth of the heir or the promise of the heir or something like that right um but then something like the second chance romance or something like a sort of like romance series that moves through Mm -hmm. a sequence of different characters, right? Time is more expansive there. So I don't know. I, can I throw that out there and just like, (laughs) let you to let you to toss that around for a second? I mean, I guess I have a question. Like, are you asked, is it okay? Take two. Um, I guess my thought is, um, do you mean like the idea of like you, it can't be loved yet? you've only known each other for maybe like a day maybe you can't marry a man you just met um yeah there's like yeah, that which i maybe. think is fair but also like love there's a lot sight, of love at stuff, first sight that right? like maybe i don't know it's never happened to me but some people say yeah so i don't know 
Well, maybe okay. So maybe another way of maybe another way of phrasing it, because I feel like there's a very particular way in which it gets staged in a novel, like Legends and Lattes, which is very different than the way that it's staged in the Before trilogy. I'm literally just flapping holding, these physical items around, with his flying around in the air. Like, um, uh, for context, dear listener, the Before trilogy takes place over a decade. Uh, well, the first film was made in 1995 and the last film was made in 2013. Okay, so math, a long yeah. time. So 20 years-ish, yeah. basically, for right. these characters. Looking at these same other. actors and their story. Right, carrying, like, following them over over two decades. Um, and where so was with, I going with so that? So with that... So with that, right, the thing that, uh, the thing that you see in uh in say a novel like uh legends and lattes is the way that romance like the romance plot itself is structured very subtly and over time right the classic the book talk term would be slow burn yes right um and so i wonder if there's a you know i wonder if that's a that's another aspect of romance storytelling that maybe helps us get at some of the particular pleasures of why these books are engaging to read is because Mm -hmm. they play around with our expectations about how the course of love does not run smooth. I think from book to book and from story to story, there's going to be a big difference in plot and time and how the characters operate in that and and i guess it's like there's going to be books that are like instant sparks fly whether that's like emotionally physically however and then there's going to be other stories that take like sometimes a whole like decades and or like a lifetime to build up to like a moment of so I guess, it, it, and I think there's times where readers are drawn to one versus the other, or sure. you can enjoy both or all. I don't know. Um, Jess, do you have any thoughts? For me, one of the things that I have run into with romances that I've read recently, a lot of them have some sort of time constraint on okay. them or okay. setting constraint on them. Like A Princess in Theory, the book that I'm reading now, which is by Alyssa Cole, it is like a very, it looks like a very stereotypical mass market paperback, which by the way, I hate mass market paperbacks, <laughs> I've decided. They're so hard to keep open. They are. They just, very these tiny small, little monster blocky. books. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book though. I'm really enjoying reading it. He's got to find a wife within X amount of time. We have a the, deadline. The heat is on. Yeah. And yeah. he has found his betrothed across the world. <laughs> That's literally what it is. They yes. were betrothed to each other when they were babies. Oh and then she moved, her parents moved to New York City and she, like he lost contact with her and then he finds her. And there are other books that I've read like um, The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. The main characters have to pretend fake romance um, but DNA says that they're a perfect match. Um, <laughs> yes. But they have to kind of. Must be true. Exactly. They have to kind of pretend to be together for three months because she signs a contract mm-hmm. agreeing to that. Um, there are other books that I've read where there's, for example, the green card romance 
um, where there's the requirement that they need mm-hmm. to fall in love by a certain point. Right. You know, there's there's kind of a almost a ticking clock in the corner of the number that, of these books. Like plays into our reality TV probably like, timeline of hey you're on this thing there's this many weeks will you find love right yeah. yeah i mean one of the that was one of my other one of the questions that i've skipped over that i didn't really get into was sort of the role of uh you know the dating competition show mm-hmm. um as a way of structuring one one of the many flavors of popular romance narrative consumption right where you do have that ticking clock Mm -hmm. but it does sound like at least in some uh of the realms of um of romance fiction you also have different versions of that ticking clock and that makes sense with just things that i'm familiar with um you know where say a novel like the wedding date will bring that one back up right um, there's the event of needing to have someone to go with you to for this, the wedding, right? Yeah. For the wedding, to, I have to leave the country in this amount of time. Right. right, I have this deadline. I recently read the second year single, um, and with that one, it was a second chance romance. But she meets up with a former classmate of hers the day after she agrees to go on a like self-love quest for the entire month of February and not date anybody and only focus on herself. And then that entire month becomes really difficult for her. But the thing about a lot of these books, and I feel like it is something that I've seen with a lot of romances that I've read over the years, not just right now, but historically speaking, like there is a deadline. Bridgerton is a good example. It's like the the mating season that is not what it's called but <laughs> yeah it's you know that time of courtship season, yeah, season. Right. courtship <laughs> season i know it's not the I mating know. season although i, I think that's the name of another next, romance next might as well be the, yeah you know season three that's what i'm gonna the mating you know. season i mean but i think the but i you're right even in the constraints of the sort of the regency romance i mean there were times when you would go for your social visits when you would mingle with the other families and it would just be better to do that during certain times of the year because the weather would permit it. Right. right? The heat is on. We got to get this figured out. Yeah. Because we got to get it figured out. Daddy is sick or something like that. Sure. We need to figure out what to do yeah. with with the estate or mm-hmm. something like right. that. So there's not always, but frequently I feel like a pressure that you see around like there's a time period incorporated into this that compresses the romantic aspect of what's happening in this book to an enclosed period. And to talk about reality TV, Joseph, even though you didn't ask the question, you mentioned it and you know I'll take any chance I, I know you will to talk about reality TV. You need no prompting. I I really don't need anyone to say anything and I'll just go off. Please Below do. deck started back up last night. <laughs> this is great. Talk about a hot house. <laughs> talk about a hot boat. Hot boat. <clears throat> Reality TV, when it talk when we come to romantic stories, The Bachelor, Love is Blind, Married at First Sight, all of this kind of stuff. A shot at love with Tila Tequila. Flavor of love with Flavor Flavor. Okay. Rock of love okay. with Brett Michaels. Yes, These yes, are yes. some throwbacks. Uh, yes. yes. Thank I'm you <laughs> for recounting and Locked reminding down. me of the VH1 programming block <laughs> from a very specific period of time. Millennials. But we see so yeah. many of them. Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. All of this kind of stuff. The effort to find love 
with a reality TV show is also a compressed time frame. And Joseph, I, I don't know about you and your partner, but Andrew and I did not fall in love over a course of 12 episodes of television. <laughs> it's not really yeah. how it worked. And no. it's, it generally speaking is not how it works in real life. So attempting to take what we see in a book that is giving us a lot of, a lot of leeway with certain things. Usually these people have a certain amount of money. They are not struggling with certain things in their lives. They have the capability to go out and run into somebody and they can buy food and they may live in a tiny little apartment, but they're doing okay. Like that kind of stuff. Um, allows them to focus on the romance at hand. Whereas in real life, we have a lot of other stuff we got to focus on and expecting reality TV to be able to recreate what happens in a fictional book and make it successful is honestly setting everyone up for failure. And I have never watched, I love reality TV, but I've never watched a single episode (laughs) of any of these shows with the expectation that it was going to be successful. Sure. They're honestly at the end of the day, social experiments. If there is success, like with Trista and Ryan from the first season of The Bachelorette. That's wonderful to me. I watched that season and I loved every second of it. But the likelihood that that's going to happen is slim because we're really taking a fictional model and attempting to apply it to real life. Right. And that's not yeah. how it works. In, in those cases, right, it's, a, it's the imposition of a particular... Uh, temporal construct, right, or a particular narrative arc, or something like that, that of course is never present in actual life. But I guess one of the things that is interesting is uh, is the way in which we can see uh, amongst the wider diversification of romance narratives, uh, romance novels in particular, um, the the varied expression of how those like temporal constructs can be right re-implemented of course for the case of like entertainment you're not watching you're not necessarily always watching paint dry with these characters or whatever Um, (laughs) but uh but things can slow down things can sort of dilate and you're kind of with them through uh through a number of different experiences and then things start to maybe open up sort of towards the end of the novel. Like I'm thinking again, Legends and Lattes, that's yeah. kind of how that book works, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, you know, it's, it is a, it is a classic slow burn in that way. So I suppose as a way of buttoning it up, right? Uh, uh, Final question. Landing the plane of this extended interrogation. <laughs> no air disaster here. No air disaster ah, here, baby. We're gonna the stick the landing. Stayed yeah, on. That's right. Um, this With is planes not these days. That's kind of a question. I am not flying a Boeing. Seven twenty seven. Seven twenty seven. No, not what? sponsored by Boeing. Not sponsored. What by was your last question? Joseph? The last question <laughs> is. Speaking for yourself, but yeah. also maybe speaking for the people, such as you feel like you can. How often do you find yourself reading and watching romance for the same reason? Or are those reasons entirely different? I think it depends on my mood. Because I'm such a mood, like, 
magnet. Your mood or your wear, mood, mood viewer. Yeah. And I think it depends on if I'm feeling contemplative because then it's like sad all the way. It's like, yes, I want romance. I want to read about sad things that people go through things. And, but then also there's levity and there's lots of joy. So it's like, no, only happy things. No misunderstandings. Only happy. Um, or if so there are misunderstandings, depends. there's a resolution. Yes, we can wrap it up. 30 minutes for the conclusion. And here we go. Mm-hmm. So I guess it just, it honestly depends because I don't think personally I only watch sad romance movies and then only read happy romance books. It's a big mix. Um, Cause I'm currently reading Anna Karenina, which that man is obsessed with love. All of his characters, such a long cast of characters. Everyone mm. is looking for love. Mm. All of them. Oh yeah. It's basically Every, how War and Peace was too. Everyone's mm-hmm. looking for love and it's, no one is happy. <laughs> At least not yet. And I don't, you know, I've read it so I know that it doesn't end happy either. But um, some people end happy. There you go. Kitty ends up pretty happy. Yeah. Um, but it's just, but also I just read for this discussion, The Second Chance New Year, Second Chance Year by Melissa Weiner, Weisner. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was a very happy book, and I read it. Um, I read it at the beginning of the new year because it's kind of a New Year seasonal read. Sure. Um, but you can also read it any time of the year, obviously. But that main character goes through a lot of personal growth because sh- her whole world fell apart. The previous year, she lost her boyfriend, lost her job, lost her apartment, and she feels like everything fell apart because she was too bossy. She opened her big mouth. She was like made um, enemies of all of these people and they like eventually broke up with her, fired her, evicted her, all these things. And she gets the chance to go back in the year and change everything. And she takes it and then everything, not spoiler alert, but it ends out okay. Um, Everything, there's miscommunication, but everything ends on a high note. She has a newfound family, good relationships with both her new boyfriend and her brother and all of these lovely things. And I read those around the holidays to be happy, but then come February, I'm reading Anna Karenina, and yep. they're, that's not happy. <laughs> but it well, is about love, so it just depends. Now that's reading, but what about watching? Watching. For you? Well, I um, recently did a rewatch of one of my favorite romances, which is Penelope, a movie that came out in 2006, and it is rated PG, which means that when it came out in 2006, I was 12 years old. And that was perfectly within my rating window. <laughs> and yeah. um, I feel elderly right it's now. Yeah, fine. a little bit. <laughs> it's fine. But um, I rewatched it and it truly holds up. It is a, fa- a fairy tale retelling. It's got a stellar cast. It's got Christina Ricci, James McAvoy, Peter Dinklage, um, Catherine O'Hara, Reese Witherspoon's also in there. It's just a fun time. The whole game. It's here. so fun. Solid A list lineup there. Yeah, it's so good. And it's so funny and colorful. And it is like highly recommend. The library only has one copy on DVD. Everyone should check it out. Please skyrocket the checkouts. Let's get that. <laughs> Let's get that hold list popping. Please place it on hold. It's so good. Yeah. But with that, there's big questions in there of. Penelope, who is cursed to have the face of a pig until someone falls in love with her, um, having big identity questions of, 
I, no one's going to love me. No one can see past my face. No one can like see the real me. Who is the real me? All of these questions, which are big, heavy questions and wanting to feel loved both by her family, who she doesn't feel like she's good enough for and by someone romantically. But it's at the end of the day ends on a high note and it's a, there's laughs along the way. So I don't know. It's, mm. it's a mixed bag, mm-hmm. but but it's a happily ever yeah. after ending, right? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Joseph. Hmm? Name a famous romance film. A famous romance film? Yeah. That shouldn't be that hard. Titanic. Okay. Rhea, name a famous romance film. That was going to be mine. Oh, no. Sorry. Um. <sighs> While you were sleeping. Joseph, name a famous romance book. It can be something that we just did. We just talked about. The wedding date. Rhea? Um, Red, white, and royal blue. What's the difference between those two sets of things? The most famous thing of all four titles that you named is sad. Very sad. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. If we think about other famous romantic films, Casablanca, so sad. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Past Lives, which is a recent one. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Mm -hmm. Are those uplifting and optimistic and joyous and have a happily ever after these before movies? Mm -hmm. Sad. Well, it's complicated. So sad. <laughs> Are we talking about like a happy for now situation Sometimes. with every single film? So sad. Mm. Right. My theory is that we read romance for a much different reason than we watch romance. And because when we pick up a romance book, we are guaranteed based on the tropes and based on the rules of that genre that the ending will be happy. If it is not happy, it actually isn't a romance by the rules that are dictated through reader's advisory, by the laws of the genre, essentially. There can be romantic aspects for a book, but the ending is a clutch aspect of whether the book is going to be a romance or not. In a film, the aspects of a romantic film are much different. And so I think that we do watch romances for different reasons. And I will say, as a human being, I what I watch on TV, I watch for a much different reason than what I read mm. or what I watch on in a movie theater. Way different than what I read. When I'm reading, I want to access parts of my brain that I maybe haven't used. Whereas on TV and in in film, it's a much more emotional experience for me. Reading for me tends to be a brain thing. I'm thinking about like the critical analytics of a sister and another Mm -hmm. sister over the course of two books. I'm thinking about the aspects of this one character being taken on his very first subway ride and what that feels like. Poor guy is seeing so many (laughs) rats. Um, He's seeing subway mice and it's weird for him. (laughs) 
Whereas when I watch a romance like past lives, for example, I'm there because I want to feel something. Mm -hmm. I want to be kind of not necessarily emotionally triggered, but I am much more likely to feel emotional about something if I'm seeing it on a screen and seeing how the characters respond as opposed to just hearing it on the page. So for me, I think it is something where we access those things a little bit differently. And a lot of famous romances are sad because a lot of romance in real life is sad. Yeah. It doesn't often for people, it doesn't end well. I think it's interesting that I'm kind of going through a mental list of movies that are romances, but I think a lot of them will be considered like drama as their first. Yeah. It's a romantic genre. genre. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's romantic drama. Yeah. Versus the, the happy. Right romance movies that are like it's always romantic comedy like that's the separate genre it's Mm -hmm. not like and so the difference is with that that distinction of the happy ending see i think for me the you know i i want to slightly challenge the framing a little bit to say that i think the different formal modes of the novel and the film, while obviously there's lots of crossover, I think that those that those two formal modes that we're talking about, for the most part, although we have talked about some TV, um, they just afford us as viewers and readers different experiences of emotional depth and desire in in markedly different and I guess for different people um, deeper or more sort of subtle or textured ways I can say that you know I've read I've read novels where I've had similar intense experiences of the kind of longing or passion or desire that I have felt as an aspect of the experience of watching, say, a film. Um, But I guess for me, that's still the place where I'm going to, I'm going to map or be more, most closely able to, map my own taste preferences onto the the genre the big genre tent that we would call romance right uh so for me that's what i'm going to the film for and and but also a lot of times it's what i'm going to the novel for um and so maybe that's i don't know maybe that doesn't necessarily challenge the framing so much as just to say, you know, I think that there are, there are things and moods that, uh, that film can conjure up in us that sometimes novels can't always do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and sometimes novels hit something a film just can't sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's always that argument about the book being better than the film. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think, um, 
It's just a different art form. It's a different and art they form. Sing in different ways. And it's not to say one's one's right, one's wrong. It's just simply to say, I think like mm, maybe that misperception or some of that popular association that we were doing around like romance film versus romance novel um, is you know it's a it's a consequence of uh, how these industries have branded themselves and how they've sort of characterized those uh, those genre terms right within them yeah and I think also one thing that I thought of well just while we're talking about this there's a difference in film between a romance and a love story sure so really Titanic is a love story mm-hmm. right. Casablanca is a love story it's a romance too but often when people describe a love story on film it ain't gonna end well mm-hmm. <laughs> including the film love story <laughs> oh yeah good point tragic Ooh, real ouch. tragic but there's so many films about love that don't end on a happy note mm-hmm. because that is how love works yeah. frequently. Uh, not always, but you know, it sucks out there sometimes. That would be like that sometimes. Yeah. The, uh, I've heard that the online dating scene is a rough game. Yes. Um, but that's another thing to think about is that maybe the terminology of romance in film is a bit of a misnomer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, this, to me, this also kind of gets me back to that larger question about time, right? And, of course, because I've I watched this series of films that were filmed over 20 years, the same pair of characters, or same pair of actors playing the same characters, and their relationship, effectively, the arc goes from a literal meet cute on a train uh, outside of Budapest to uh, they're now in in a, a relationship, a committed relationship together with two children on vacation in Greece as one of them is now divorced. One of them is d- divorced and has another family and, you know, but they've, they have found their way back to one another and things are rocky. You know, but that's because that idea of love or the larger experience or expression of love as characterized and captured by this series of narratives is to show that it has ebbs and flows. It has multiple acts to it. It has lots of texture to it. But at the same time, even in that first film, there is this amazing moment where Jesse and Celine are in the record shop and they're listening to come here by Kath Bloom that she pulls out from puts on the turntable. And it's this moment where you're watching these two people try not to look at each other. Right. And because it's happening on film, because it's, you know, sculpted in time right here in this yeah, little moment. There's an atmosphere it. that you don't cut. Yeah. Book, you know, sure. you can't, you can't capture that in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so maybe that's the maybe that's the distinction is there's a sort of there's an acuteness to and a different range of the kinds of emotional textures that are possible 
in in film around this larger question of love and romance. Right. Um, and then there's a different set of emotional textures that's that's possible um, in 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 writing. Well, yeah, and I mean, there is romance is only one aspect of love, right? Sure. It's, there are yeah. many different layers to love. I love you, Rhea, but yes, not right. romantically. Nope. Same with El Joseph here. Yeah. Love you, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Likewise. But yeah, thank you. But when we think about a romance book, it is very specific to a certain time period within a relationship. And generally speaking, a love story in a novel can be any length of time. And again, it might not be happy. And that's when we start looking at relationship fiction as opposed to romance specifically. Right. Those stories are trying to tell a different thing. Right. Make people feel a different way. Um, so it might, might be that maybe the genre of the love story as a concept is maybe kind of under-considered, mm. as it were. Mm. I think that's fair. Yeah, I can agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Book Lovers Podcast. All our titles are available in the Spartanburg County Public Library's collections via spartanburglibraries.org. For more information about the titles discussed on this episode or to learn more about us, check out our website, bookloverspodcast.squarespace.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to Book Lovers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.